Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. talking a lot about breakthrough this month. Um, who, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk in connect groups and uh, a lot of talk that God's doing amazing things. Put up your hand if you feel like God's doing amazing things. Put up the other hand if you feel like God's given you breakthrough already this month. Man, it's been so amazing. You know, God is amazing. Do you, you know, we were, we were singing before your presence, oh Lord. Do you, know, do you know what the presence of God is or what that means, the presence? Actually translated in Hebrew, the presence is the face of God. Mm. When we say, Lord, we're in your presence, we're actually saying, Lord, we're looking at the face of God. Close your eyes right now and just lift up your hands and go. And just have a look. So we worship you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the face of God that's looking at us right now. Thank you for your face, God, your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you look right in. Why don't you just pray this prayer with me, Lord? I open my heart to you that you can look not just at me, but you can look in me. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. Because I know that your perfect love casts out all fear. That you accept me. You embrace me. That you see me the innermost parts of my heart. Jesus' name. You know, we've been talking about breakthrough a lot and, you know, we've talked about, you know, parting the waters of the Red Sea. We've talked about, you know, this is my part of it, let alone what Phil's talked about in the morning. So if you haven't been in the morning services, you need to get these podcasts because God's just been layering in, layering in, layering in. Like this morning... Wow, you know, I'm just sitting there. I was going, oh my gosh, I feel like my my cage is being rattled. I feel like I feel like I want to get on the altar. I feel like laying on my face this morning and just getting before God because you know the Word of God is just so powerful. It's active. It's a two-edged sword. It it it, it goes forth and it accomplishes that which it was sent forth to do. So don't, if you're not here, don't miss out because this is a series that we're preaching and every word that we preach, I promise you, has been impregnated and brought to birth in the holy place of God for a week. Like, it's just like, we finish tonight and then tomorrow we go get pregnant again. Then we, we're pregnant all week. We're travailing, we're pregnant. And then you've got next Sunday's. He got this afternoon, so he's already pregnant. He's not even waiting for Monday. So I don't get any sleep again tonight. Because, you know, he, he prays an average of four hours a day, sometimes six. I'm not kidding. I live with him. Sometimes it's hard to even say, hello, you're a human being. Like, no, I'm even selfish if I say, um, can we have a conversation? Like, and I ha- then I have to repent to God and say, oh. Sorry, God. That's right. He's a holy man. But I love it because I know that when he brings the word of God, that he's, you know, he's been in the presence of God. And I hope the same thing is with me as well, that these words don't just, you know, just not a good idea, but God is saying something. God is doing something. We are moved by the Holy Spirit. And there's a layering in of some precious things inside of you that I hope we'll see the fruit of 
You know, when we, t- we don't just talk about breakthrough, it's just not like, oh, that was a good sermon, let's all go home. But it's like, it's, it's let's do the word, let's get breakthrough, let's see breakthrough. I agree with you, Ra, let's see cancers healed. Why not now? Why not today? You know, it's, we've already had cancers healed in this church. Why not continue to do that? We can call this a cancer-free zone. I'd like to do that. But tonight I want to I want to talk about something a little different tonight and go a little bit in a little bit of a deeper direction. I want to talk about the breakthrough of the heart. You know, you can get breakthroughs in many other areas in your life. Breakthroughs in your finances. And you, you suddenly you can pay the mortgage, you can pay the bills, and it makes you feel happy. But if you haven't got a breakthrough in your heart, in other areas, you'll still go back to the same place of feeling sad when it wears off that you can pay your mortgage and you were happy about it. Do you know what I mean? Because the deepest joy that you can have is the kingdom of God coming into you in its entirety. The kingdom of God, righteousness, uh, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God inside of us. And we can get righteousness, peace, and joy on our hearts. Then we have breakthrough on the inside no matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter what circumstances happen around you. It doesn't matter what goes on around you. You have a breakthrough on the inside of you that you walk through life in victorious, um, overcoming, uh, brave, bold Christianity because you've got that breakthrough on the inside. You know, it says, Proverbs 27, 19 says this, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Have you ever read that before? Everybody's looking at me. We don't read the Bible here. Anyone ever read that before? I have never read that before. I read that and I went, oh my gosh. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Amen? Scripture, it clearly teaches us in Scripture that the real issues of life are spiritual. The real things that we face in life are spiritual. The real issues that we face. Not material, you know, not just normal life stuff, but the real issues of life are spiritual and they're matters of the heart, they're matters of the inner man. When we talk about the heart, we talk about the inner man. You know, that's probably why in the Bible, when you look in the Bible and you can do a word search on the word heart, you'll find that in the NIV Bible, other Bibles it's more because it depends what words are translated, but in the NIV Bible there's 791 references to the heart. And I think that these numbers suggest that the heart is a, is a very prominent concept. One of the most commonly used words in the Bible is the heart, most commonly used. Most of these occurrences, are, I'm just going to read you some of these so we can get this down. Most of these occurrences are used metaphorically as the inner man. So most of the 791 times in the NIV that the word heart is used... It is metaphorically used as referring to the inner man, okay? The term heart that generally speaks of the inner person and the spiritual life. Like the human heart, it is the central and and vital, it is central and vital to our existence. So when we're talking about the inner man, it's called the heart, and just as the human heart is the central and vital thing for our existence, so the inner man is the central and the most vital place for our existence as Christians. It's the central place where everything else flows. The issues of the heart, out of the issues of the heart. Everything flows out of the issues of the heart. So if we get a breakthrough in our hearts, then your whole world just is affected. Tonight, let's just let's have a look at a couple of things fresh. Number one, how important our inner world really is in the terms of these things. So our inner world, in our inner world, it, 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 um, it gives us 
sorry, I'm going to start there again. How important our inner world really is in the terms of our ideas about God. So as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Our ideas about God, our ideas about ourselves, our ideas about others, and in terms of our motives, goals, and aspirations. And number two, the importance of regular heart surgery. So I want to show you how important it is our heart in everything that we do, everything we think, everything that we feel, how we respond, how we react, how we live our lives, and number two, how important it is to have regular heart surgery. <laughs> Everybody just went, uh-oh. <laughs> 1 Samuel 16, 7b says this, For God sees not as a man sees, for a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So when I say, you know, with the presence of God, the face of God, then God is looking inside of us and God is looking inside our hearts. And he's saying he's looking inside our hearts to search our hearts. You know that, that song Julie sang before, the psalm. And, and David actually got before God and he said, God, examine my heart. Examine my heart and see if there be any unclean thing inside of me. Examine my heart and see if there's anything that blocks me from you. Examine my heart and see if there's anything that stops me from fulfilling the call of God on my life. Examine my heart and see if there's anything that stops my relationships. Examine my heart, oh God, and see if there's any blockages to me furthering my relationship with you. Examine my heart and see if there's anything that stops me from fulfilling all that I'm supposed to be in this life. Examine my heart and see if there's something that's blocking my true identity right. in Christ coming forth. Examine my heart. And he said that, examine my heart and see if there's any... Un we, we read that and we think, oh, that's just to do with sin. But the heart carries a lot more things than just sin. The heart carries pain. The heart carries discouragement. The heart carries many, many things. We'll talk about that in a minute. These passages teach us that the Lord looks at and searches the heart, the inner person. Why is the heart so important? Because out of the heart, the issues of life flow. The Bible says that out of the heart, the issues of life flow. Our actions, our works, our pursuits, all proceed from the heart. What we do in word and deed is first of all a product of what we are on the inside. You know, we can pretend to be something else, but at the end of the day, our heart will reveal itself. Our actions, our deeds, we can try and pretend that everything's okay, but after a while, the heart will reveal itself and your actions and deeds will have a bit of a, a slight defect if there's things inside your heart that God needs to look at. On the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus spoke strongly against mere external performance, orientated hypocrisy of the religious Pharisees. You know, he spoke strongly about that. Authentic Christianity, biblical Christianity, centers in an inward, intimate walk with faith in God. Anything else is nothing more than religious hypocrisy. So, you know, so we can just pretend. We can just put on... How many of you have you know, been in the past to churches or to places where you feel like, I just got to pretend that, you know, I'm, I, you know, everything's cool, that everything's okay. And we can be religious and hypocritical in that because in our hearts we're not okay. And true Christianity is that we expose this innermost part of our being to God. And like David, we say, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Like David, we say, we just come transparent before him and say, God, you see everything anyway. God, you can see everything anyway. So look inside me, God. And God, let's work together. Let's work together to bring forth all good things that are in my life. For instance, Jesus teaches us that adultery, murder, begin in the heart. You may not even literally, you know, have committed 
adultery. But the scriptures say if you look at a woman or a man with that view, you've already committed adultery where? In your heart. Matthew 5.28 talks about that. Our walk with God is always a matter of the heart. Why? Because if the inside of the cup is clean, then the outside of the cup is clean. One of the goals of the Christian life is the formation of Christ-like character. The character of Christ formed in our lives through the various life-changing tools that God has chosen to use. Now, these are the tools that God has chosen to use to form our character. Number one, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. We're not going to go there. 5, 16 to 26. Number two, the truth of the word. And there's scriptures up there that you can see, Psalm 19, 7 to 14. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. John 17, 17. And the trials and the testings of life. James 1, 2 to 4. The ministry of others as iron sharpens iron. So he uses the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come to us. He uses the truth of the word to come to us. He uses the trials and the testings of life to come to us. And he uses the ministry of others as iron sharpens iron. For these tools to be truly effective, we need personal diligence and honesty in dealing with the heart. Is it any wonder that Solomon challenges us, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Swindle writes this, how important is the heart? Is it, it is there that character is formed. It alone holds the secrets of true success. Its treasures are priceless, but they can be stolen. But they can be stolen. I've, I've told this story before, and for those of you who heard it before, you can hear it again. But, you know, when I came to the Lord, and, and the Lord, I'm seeking the Lord about, you know, what he wants to do with my life, with ministry, you know, what kind of call has he put on my life, the Lord gave me a picture of when I was a child. There was, you know, six kids in our family. And so there wasn't a lot we could do, uh, you know, for fun that didn't cost money. And we had this big old station wagon, no seatbelts in those days. And Dad would just say to us, come on, we're going to the tip. Now, you would call that, you know, um, what do we call it? Waste management. Waste management facility. But in the old days, it was just called the tip. And in those days, you could go to the tip and rubbage through and find stuff. You were allowed in there. It was so much fun. And so we'd get our little buckets and spades. Instead of going to the beach, we would go to the tip because we, didn't, we lived in the western suburbs, so there was no beach. You had to go to the tip to have fun, you know. So Dad would get us all in the car and off we'd go to the tip. And we'd get there and it'd just be like such a stench. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, my brothers and sisters would just run over the top of the heap, you know, looking and bashing into each other and saying, no, I want that. And it would be all fighting, you know, and chaos as it is in big families. And uh, the Harveys are smiling at me right now. They're just going, yes, we know what that feels like. <laughs> Kids running everywhere. But I would just, like, go away from my brothers and sisters and I would think, you know what, they're crazy because you're not going to find the best treasure on the top of the pile because everybody else has been there. You're only going to find the best treasure in the heart and in the guts of the thing. And so I would go into the deepest, smelliest part and I would get my little shovel and I'd just start digging in and a stench and it was like flies and blowflies and I'm digging in and digging in. And then I would always, always find a treasure. And I would get it out and I would take it home, I'd clean it up and put it on my mantelpiece. And it was like, and all my brothers and sisters going, how can you guys find stuff? You know, and I wouldn't tell them my secret. And God reminded me of that when I was seeking him. God reminded me of that picture. And he said to me, Julie, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out with eyes to see into the deepest, darkest, dirtiest tips that have been dumped on people's lives. And I'm sending you to dig until you find the treasure inside of my people. And I'm I'm asking you that you will bring the treasure out 
and present it to me so I can polish it and put it on my mantelpiece in heaven. <laughs> and I just, wow. Oh. So I love, this is, this is a, this means a lot to me. There's, they're priceless treasures that are in the heart, but they can be stolen. We must all ask ourselves this question, you know, how am I guarding my heart? What am I doing to keep my heart guarded? Is the condition of my heart my greatest concern? The condition of your heart should be your greatest concern because it determines every other aspect of your life. It ultimately determines our love for God and our love for others. It determines who we are and what we do. That's incredible. You know, I've always, I've always felt that in my heart of hearts, you know, from the minute that I saw Jesus and, and he looked into my eyes and looked right inside me and, you know, and I'm, when he's looking at me, when he's, as he's looking at me, you know, my testimony is that I saw Jesus, you know, himself. And that's how I became a Christian. But as he's looking at me, his eyes are burning inside of me and my thoughts are, oh, no, he can see. He can see the stuff. And it was just like he couldn't see the stuff. He just kept looking at me, smiling. And I'm thinking, why is he smiling? Surely he can see by now. He's looking deep enough to see the stuff that I'd never want him to see. Surely he can see that. But it was like his eyes just kept penetrating. His eyes kept penetrating. It was just like he was just going, oh. It's just like, you know, push that to the side, push that to the side. I don't care about that, I don't care about that, I don't care about that. I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to find you, Julie, inside you. You know, and it's a scary thing when we say, well, tonight we're going to talk about a breakthrough of the heart, and I can feel the silence in the room. I can feel the, like, sucking back. It's like, and let me say this. Jesus wants to come find you. He wants to come and get your heart. And tonight, maybe just a baby step forward, but that baby step is going to set you up for a huge breakthrough in your life. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. So these are a few things that the heart needs. Number one, the heart needs guarding. We talked about that. Because the heart cannot be understood by our own wisdom. Only God can reveal and lay bare our hearts to us. It's hard to know our own motives and our own reasons. 1 Corinthians 4.4 talks about that. We're naturally skilled. We are naturally skilled at deceiving ourselves. <laughs> the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Number two, the heart needs guarding because the heart is the wellspring of life, the fountain of attitudes, values, beliefs, aspirations, and pursuits. Number three, the heart needs guarding because... As it is a fountain, so must the streams flow from it. And where do the streams flow from the fountain? They flow through the eyes. They flow through the mouth. They flow through the feet. They throw, flow through the hands. They, they come through our words, our actions. So the heart flows through, and what flows from the heart comes out. Matthew 12, 34b says this, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many times have you sort of been in a situation and you're thinking, no, I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to... And then all of a sudden you just go, blah, and you just go, ah, and it's like, why did I say that? And you're trying to take it back, reel it back, reel it back in, reel it back in. Because in your heart, you, you were there. Right. And, and your heart right. just ends up saying, you know, what's in your heart. You end up saying what's in your heart, or your actions end up actioning what's in your heart. It, it's so important to, to look at our hearts. It's so important. So the heart, the heart needs guarding, number one. You agree with me? Yeah. Number two, the heart needs giving. How many of you know that you, know, you, you couldn't even enter in salvation unless you gave your heart? So the heart needs giving. The balance, to balance out your character, you need to do more than guard your heart. It is the flip side that makes you authentic. You also need to give your heart. <laughs> to resist releasing yourself from fear of getting burned 
may seem safe, but in the long run, it's lethal. I mean, we talk about guarding our heart. We're guarding our hearts and keeping, you know, from things getting in that are going to damage my heart, things that are going to stop me from walking with God, things that are going to stop my relationship with God. I guard my heart from those things, but I don't protect my heart and put up walls around my heart to stop me from loving, to stop me from giving my heart away, to stop me from being open and releasing and accepting of all people and of my relationship with God. Um, Giving the heart means risk, entanglements, and becoming vulnerable. How many people like that? (laughs) I love being vulnerable. It's so, so comfortable, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Taking risk, you know, the risk of entanglement, you know, making my heart open, you know. How many of us want to do that? But gee, he wants that. You know, he so wants that. He so wants us to be vulnerable, you know, with each other, with him, you know, just to be vulnerable. Number two, it means having to step out in faith, believing in God rather than believing in one's own strategies. Number three, it means having to give up something. When we give our hearts, it means having to give up something. Sometimes it's just pride. (laughs) Sometimes it's fear. But it means having to give up something. And sometimes it means giving up a lot. Number four, it can even mean having your heart broken and wrung out like a towel. (laughs) Okay, I'm just doing an altar call right now for you to, to, you know, open your heart up to God. It may get broken, it may get wrung out like a towel, but it's all good. You're going to leave this room feeling really good. It can even mean having your heart broken around it like a towel. And number five, but to fail to give it means to lock it up safely in a casket of selfishness. And like a body laid to rest in a casket, the heart will change, though safe, it will change into dark and motionless. It will rot and become like a bag of bones. (laughs) That's why Jesus said, that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. That's what he said to the Pharisees. You know, it all looks good on the outside, but your heart's like a bag of bones. You know, you think it's good to keep your heart safe and not to give it away and not to open it up. But in actual fact... I'm going to read that again. (laughs) But to fail to give it means to lock it up safely in a casket of selfishness. And like a body laid to rest in a casket, (laughs) I'm laughing at this because it sounds so horrible, the heart will change. I'm laughing at me too because I'm going, oh, God. The heart will change. Though safe, it will be dark and motionless and it will rot and become a bag of bones. Wow. So the heart needs giving. Number three, the heart needs purifying. So our heart needs guarding. Our heart needs giving. Our heart needs purifying. Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Wow. The heart is purified by being renewed. The mind needs renewing in its ideas, values, motives and beliefs. The thoughts and intents of the heart need to be changed through storing and meditating the word of God. Amen. Um, Number two, the heart is purified by being tested. Who knows that? (laughs) One of the reasons for suffering and trials and the various irritations that God either brings or allows is to reveal the conditions of our heart, to show its true colours that we might see our sin and deal with it through confession and faith in God's provision. How many of you have been through like a hard time, a trial, and then it's just like, God, why are you doing this? And And then it's like your heart gets revealed and you go, oh, 
You know, sometimes now when I go through hard times, I just go, okay, God, let's get over and done with. Like, just have a look. Like, like David, I just go, Lord, examine my heart. Let's just get this over and done with, whatever it is you want to do in my life, whatever it is you want to change in me, I'm open to you. Proverbs 14.10 says this, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Each heart knows. How many memories have you got? How many, how many things have you been through in your lifetime that you know your own bitterness? In your heart, you know your own bitterness and the things that that has done to you. And this is the last point I want to make. The heart needs open surgery. So the heart needs guarding. The heart needs, what's the next one? Giving. The heart needs purifying. Heart needs open surgery. (laughs) Since the heart is so important to what we think, say and do, and as our hearts are constantly challenged, we need regular heart surgery. We need regular heart surgery with a scalpel of the word under the guiding hand of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we accomplish this through the teaching, the guiding, the convicting and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like a sharp two-edged sword, the word divides the inner man asunder to reveal the true condition and the needs of our heart. That's what Hebrews 4.12 is really talking about. Like a sharp two-edged sword, the word comes divides the inner man asunder to reveal the true condition and the needs of our heart. We're not just talking about sin. We're just talking about, God, look at my heart and see if there be any sinful way in me. God, look at my heart and see if there's any needs in my heart. See if there's any things that are in my heart that, you know, we really need to look at to give me greater freedom, to give me greater joy, to give me greater peace, to give me greater love, to give me greater, you know, um, discipline to give me greater identity. It's these things. Uh, I want to read you this testimony. This is Ra's wife, Rebecca. Um, Rebecca Toko. She's not here tonight. Um, she's a beautiful woman and she's a beautiful girl. And she actually, I was like stirring this up in my heart and then she rang me. She said, look, I don't usually speak or anything like that, and I don't usually say anything, but I feel like God's really talking about the heart. And I wonder if you would share my testimony for me about what God did in my heart, just one, one testimony of a million things he's done in my heart. And she's, she's entitled these prayers and vows we make as children, Rebecca Toko. Children children don't have the insight, reasoning, or ability to remove themselves from harm or abuse, which is why I believe Satan attacks us so young. I was a Christian. I'd been to all the conferences, retreat. I went to church. I'd forgiven things done wrong to me, but God spoke to me through a friend. What about the vows you made in your heart? I remember a friend at the time who was around 10 years older than me saying, what's wrong with you? You finished school, you're young, you're in the prime of your life. Why aren't you happy? You should be happy. I really didn't know. I honestly couldn't tell you at the time why amongst my surroundings I just felt dull and drained by life and yet I was a Christian. Little did I know at the time that God was preparing my heart to meet my husband, Ra. We need to have childlike faith when we pray to God. And so I, you know, she thought about what this woman had said. What about the vows that you made in your heart? And she asked God, show me the problem. Show me if there's any vows in my heart that I made. And God showed me a scene of when I was a child while my dad was hitting me. Is that picture of her? Yeah, that's, that's Beck as a little girl. So she was looking like that. And God showed me a scene of when I was a child and my dad was hitting me, which he did on a regular basis. And she told me that her dad, you, it's, they had a shed, like a big, it was a farm and they had a big shed. And he'd say, go out into the shed and wait for me there. And she'd hardly done anything wrong. She was just a little girl and she would go out in the shed and he would just like beat her black and blue, basically. It was very abusive. And she said it was just one of those times where my dad was beating me as he did on a regular basis, and I saw that I'd made a vow. 
And I said inside my heart, I will never need anybody. I honestly never thought of it again, which from a devil's point of view is pretty convenient. Get them while they are child, train them up, then they will grow up forgetting that they are chained, they, um, that they were in fact born and designed to be free. I know that in the years following that vow that my heart became harder, colder and more insecure, but thank God our God is a pursuer. I never actually spoke those words. I just thought them in my heart. It was an inner vow that morphed my personality and took me captive. God came to bind up the brokenhearted and set free the captives. And so I prayed a simple prayer. God, I renounce the inner vow that I will never need anybody. I choose to allow the vow to be broken in Jesus' name. I choose to allow my heart to be open to needing relationship. And he flooded my heart with love. I can't imagine if I had not allowed God to examine my heart how I would have responded to meeting Ra. Now I'm happily married. Yeah. To the most amazing man who I love and need very much. And we have a beautiful daughter. Yeah. Now I can teach my beautiful daughter that it's good to love, it's good to need people, and it's good to be loved. Amazing, isn't it? And she says here, what inner vows have you made that you need to renounce and break free from? See, one little child, one inner vow, bound her up. And it was like, it's like a vow inside a heart like that is like putting a chain around your heart and putting a padlock on. Because once you've made a vow, it's legal ground for the enemy to just lock you up. And you're just locked up in that vow and you can't break free. How incredible that God got a hold of her in Jesus' name. And I could, I could go around this room and I know people that have been set free from inner vows and had incredible experiences. The bondages of the heart that can be so hidden and yet God can just move us forward, give us great breakthrough if by the Holy Spirit we recognise that those things that we did or those things that we said actually stop us from moving forward in all that God has for us. I call them the bondages of the heart. And there's, there's a few bondages of the heart that I want to look at tonight and then we're going to pray. Is that okay? We're going to pray and we're going to give these things to God. The first one is bitter root, judge, bitter root judgments. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Bitterness is a bitter root that grows to defile many. So a bitter root judgment is something that you form a bitter root judgment about a person or a situation, but it becomes so bitter inside of you and it's a judgment inside of you that then it affects everything to do with that kind of situation. For instance, if it's gender-related, you know, you might be a woman that's been hurt by a man. And so you might have a bitter root judgment inside of you that says all men are no good. You put them all in the same box. They're all filthy. You know, I might have been, you might have been raped by a man or hurt by a man. You say all men are perverse. All men are filthy. You might have been in a situation where a man was unfaithful to you. You just say you can't trust any men. That's a bitter root judgment that casts judgment on a whole lot of people, defiles a whole lot of people because of one situation. Perhaps it was a, a, a guy and, you know, you, you had a controlling mother. <laughs> and because you've got a controlling mother, you have this bitter root judgment that all women are controlling. And so, you, you know, you go to get into a relationship, you go in a marriage or, you know, in an intimate relationship with a woman, 
but you, you just have this bitter root judgment. So everything she does, you just go, you're trying to control me, aren't you? You're trying to control me, aren't you? And there's this thing that she hits all the time. She's not a controlling woman. I'm not a controlling woman. I'm not trying to control you. But it's like it always comes through because it's a bitter root judgment that affects all your relationships to do with uh, women. And the thing is this about bitter root judgments. The thing is that the very thing that you don't want is what you attract. So if, if you have a bitter root judgment that all men are perverse, guess what kind of men you're going to attract? Perverse men. If you had a bitter root judgment that you know you can't trust any man, uh, females, guess what kind of people or men you're going to attract in your life? Untrustworthy men. Men, if you have a bitter root judgment that all women are controlling, guess what kind of women you'll attract? Controlling women. <laughs> because that bitter root judgment, it goes down, it defiles, and it puts a big sign on your head that says, come and get me or you controlling women. <laughs> it's not a good thing to have. And, you know, just a simple prayer that I just lay down that bitter root judgment and I, I declare that all men are not untrustworthy, that there are good men. And, Lord, I just ask you to break that in my heart. And it's just a prayer you can pray. And there's many aspects of bitter root judgments. You can just, I can just hear you ticking over right now. Just for a second, just think about that. Have you ever made a bitter root judgment? Is there a bitter root judgment inside of you about anything? It could be anything. It could be, you know, a church. You know, you, you got hurt by a church. All churches are like that. You got hurt by a pastor. All pastors are like that. And then what do you attract? Pastors that are like that. Not me. Not us, no. We're not like that. <laughs> it's all good. The, the next thing is that um, racial. You know, I remember my grandfather uh, growing up and they'd been in the war, the Japanese war, my grandfather, he'd been part of the Japanese war. And oh my gosh, when I was growing up, you know, he had such a bitter root judgment against Japanese people and he would not even walk on the same side of the street as them. As far as he was concerned, all Japs are filthy. And so there was a racial bitter root judgment because of what he'd experienced through a few. The whole race was written off. Do you understand? So it's a bitter root judgment like that. Number C, authority figures. And I just mentioned that. You might have been hurt by those in authority. Um, then you have this bitter root judgment that says all people in authority can't be trusted. And so then what happens is you go into rebellion to authority. And guess what happens? You end up in bondage. Proverbs 28:14 says this, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. So we don't want to have hard hearts. Deuteronomy 10:16 says this, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Circumcise your heart. Let God cut it open. Let God do you know, inner, inner heart surgery. Number two, so that was a bitter root judgment. Everybody got that? Number two is an inner vow. And an inner vow is something that says like this, I will never, I will never trust that anyone again. I will never hope, right? I will never believe again. I will never love again. I'll never try hard again because it's never good enough for you. I will never try hard again. I will, you know, I will never open myself up again. I'll never have kids because of what was done to me as a child, I'm never going to have kids. They're, these are inner vows we make. I'll never get married because marriage doesn't work. I'll never get married. I'll never be successful. doesn't matter what I try. It always fails. I'll never be successful. It's an inner, it's an inner vow. I'll never go inside a church. You know, the inner vows that we make. I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like my father. I'll never be like my friend. When we make an inner vow like that, we end up becoming like the person that we said we'd never be like. I mean, I look at, you know, I look at some of my family members today and one in particular that said, I will never be like dad. I'll never drink. And today he's still an alcoholic because he had made that vow. I'll never be like him. I'm never going to... Some people have been, you know, abused and had angry parents said, I'll never hit my kids the way 
you hit me. But what happens is when we have that, that inner vow, it actually sways us towards doing exactly what we don't want to do. It's horrible. Another thing that you can make an inner vow is a death wish vow. And Katrina was, because I was talking about this with Katrina this week, and she said, oh, my gosh, it's just come to me that, you know, when I was a child, I remember being picked on at school and bullied at school. And I remember going behind the toilet block and saying, I wish I was dead. Because if I was dead, then you would all be sorry that you weren't my friend. And it came to back to her this week. You know, I wish I was dead. And see, when you say things like death wishes, death vows, actually brings like a dullness over you, like a death cloud over you, and you, you just can't experience life the way that you're supposed to experience life. So they're vows. Number three, nearly done, soul ties. You can have soul ties within your heart where your heart is literally tied like an umbilical cord to another person. Those soul ties can come through intimacy, through they, they can come through sexual relationships because, um, you know, outside of marriage, I mean, good soul ties are in marriage, bad soul ties outside of marriage. And what it can do is it, the Bible says the two become one. So when you have sexual intimacy outside of marriage, and I'm talking about even just heavy petting, really heavy petting, it causes a soul tie, which actually ties you to that person in your heart and you're tied there. You can also have soul ties to death. When, when people die and, and your grief is, is, is abnormal from normal grief, that you're actually, you can be tied to that person in the grave and you can feel as if you're being pulled into the grave with them because it's an ungodly soul tie. It's not a godly soul tie. I grieve for my mother who's died, but I don't feel like I'm being pulled into the grave with her because I had godly soul ties with her, not ungodly soul ties with her. So ungodly soul ties can pull you to places you don't want to go. And you try to have a relationship if you've got a soul tie you know, a sexual soul tie with someone else and you've had a relationship, even if you've repented of that, said sorry to God, if you have not broken that soul tie, you'll try and have a relationship with someone else and that will keep pulling you back that way. It'll keep pulling you back that way or it'll, it'll stop you from being open in your heart towards that person. Soul ties are incredible things. Soul ties to death, soul ties to grief. But Psalm 147.3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Just listen to these scriptures and as the band come, and we're just going to pray in a minute. 1 Kings 8.38-39 says this, and listen carefully to this, this is powerful. And when a prayer or a plea is made by any of your people, Israel, each one aware of their afflictions of his own heart, and spreading out his hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act and deal with each man according to all that he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of men. Isn't that powerful? Wow. Ezekiel 11.19 says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. These are the promises of God. There's an exchange. There's a divine exchange with God. When we give these things to him, he comes by his power and he takes what is not good and he gives us what is good. He doesn't leave us empty. We don't give these things, you know, now I feel vulnerable and empty and exposed. And No, God comes and fills. He doesn't leave a void place where those things may have kept us safe or kept our walls around us or made us feel as if we were impenetrable. But God comes. He, ta- he allows you to take those walls down. You take the walls down. And you say, God, come into my heart. God, I, I want to renounce these Vows. I want to. I want to get rid of these soul ties. I want to deal with these bitter root judgments tonight, God. I want to do this in Your presence, and God will take those things. He will snap those things from your life as you confess and repent of them, and He will then, as Beck said, He will shower you with His love. 
He will fill the void. He never leaves a void. He never leaves a hole. He never leaves an empty space. He fills every empty space of your heart with what is supposed to be filled, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in the innermost parts of your heart. Psalm 24, you can start to play, guys. Psalm 24, 3 to 10 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may ascend his holy place? God is doing an incredible thing. He is doing, I believe we're moving into revival. We are. We are moving in revival right now. But God wants to take us to a place, a beautiful place in him, each one of us. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And I said this morning, gates don't have heads. When he's saying they lift up your heads, O you gates, you are the gate by which God wants to come in. And as you lift up your head to him, as you open up your life to him in repentance, as you open that up, you open up the gates that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. Even the ancient doors, even the vows made as children, even those that have been there a long time, lift them up. Open the doors and let the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Selah. And Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. They will see God. The presence of God, the face of God. When your heart is cleansed of these things, you will see the face of God. You will experience the presence of God in greater realms in your life. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6, this, 6, 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet right now. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you right now. And Father, we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come in this place, O God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.